where we're in this middle of this series that we're calling Nautomatic. And if you have missed the, any of the messages, I really want to encourage you to go back and listen or watch and get caught up with us because Jesus came to give us this whole brand new kind of relationship with, with God and man. But the problem was he was crucified. And so his disciples thought, well, everything Jesus talked about is done. It's over. And we kind of got to move on with our life because everything Jesus taught, you know, that died with him. But we know the story. And Jesus rose from the dead. And that was the miracle. And so it validated everything Jesus said and, it, and, it, and everything that he claimed about himself. So he, he, before he went up back up to heaven, he told all his followers in Matthew 28, he said, I want you guys to go and baptize people. And everywhere you go, I want you to teach people to, to observe, to obey, to do what I've been commanding you and go command them to to do the same things and so then he went to heaven and this series is focusing on some of those things that Jesus talked about to his disciples specifically we're talking about the not commands of Jesus Jesus would say things like you know we looked at this do not sin we looked at this do not fear and prior to Jesus resurrecting those weren't automatic for everybody. But after the resurrection, after they see, saw Jesus alive and, and resurrected, and after they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the believers, they lived out these not commands. And because they lived these out in their life and, and really becoming automatic in their life, because they lived out the not commands, man, they changed the world. The church changed the world. And today, we're going to look at another command. It's another not command that I would say, as soon as you hear it, you're going to go, that's pretty impossible pre-resurrection. But again, it's the resurrection that changes everything for us and enables us to get to that place. So, Matthew chapter 6, let's look at verse 25. Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to look at verse 25, and it says this. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not, what's the word? Do not worry. Worry not. Thou shall not worry. To which all of you are saying, yeah, right. Rightio, Jesus, can you really command that? I mean, we have so much going on in our lives right now. But Jesus knew something that I think you know that we forget. He knows that worrying, and he's going to end up talking about this, he knows that worrying doesn't end up making our life any better. It doesn't add value to our life. It actually undermines our life, doesn't it? It it actually shortens our life. It, It undermines our life and reduces the quality of our life. So it makes absolute sense that Jesus would look at you and I and he would say, do not worry. Worry not. But how? How do you worry not? Well, what is so brilliant is that Jesus is going to give you and I, his followers, an alternative to worry. He's going to offer us a better option. So I want to dive into his teaching on this and get us there together. So let's look at verse 25 again. Jesus says this. He says, do not worry about your, do not worry about your what? Do not worry about your life. And, and I want you to notice a couple key words here. What you, and here's the word, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. 
Key words, life and will. What you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. You see, that's all tomorrow. You see, worry is all about later. Worry is all about tomorrow. Worry is all about the unknown. Worry is about the what-ifs. In fact, Jesus specifically mentions things like food and eating and drinking because that was the primary concern for people during that day and age. Just having enough food, wondering what they're going to wear, wondering where they're going to live. Interesting, at this moment, because of the mass destruction, we actually have people right now who have those same concerns. Worries about food, clothing, and shelter. But if it wasn't this specific week, we would, I would stand here today and say, for most of us, except if you live in the fire areas, most of us today, our worry is not food and clothing and shelter. What you and I are worried about are things like our job. Things like advancement, things like our grades, things like our tuition, our retirement, our health, our kids, having kids, paying bills. See, I suspect if you and I could jump back to the first century and tell those first century people the things we worry about and, and hear what they, they worry about food, you go, you worry about food? Man, we go to these massive places and there's just so much food and we just fill up these giant baskets and we, we just get as much food as we want. You, you tell them, hey, you worry about water? Man, we have so much water, we can sit on something and flush the water down into drains and it goes places. We water dirt and it turns into something else. We, we have so much water everywhere. We have little houses you worry about your clothes. We have little houses for our clothes. And we walk into that little house that you and I call a closet. They would call a house. We walk into that closet, and we have more clothes and more shoes than all of your family and extended family combined. And if you were to say that to them, they would look at you, and they wouldn't even be able to comprehend it. It wouldn't make sense to them. And they would look at you and they would look at me because they're worried about just food and clothing and shelter, just trying to make it in life and you get by. They would look at you and I and say, what do you have to worry about then? Why would, I mean, they really would. They look at, why do you have to worry? We're dealing with basic necessities. But Jesus' point is, do not worry because all of your worries are about later. They're about the future. Look at verse 25. Jesus goes on and he says, Is not life, there's that word again, your life, is not your life more than food and the body more than clothes? He's saying that there's far more to your life than the things that you're choosing to worry about. Then he says something that sounds at first like it to be completely irrelevant to our conversation. He goes on, and look at verse 26. And what's the word? What's the first word? It starts with an L to make sure we're in the same translation. What does he say? What's the word? Look. I want you to look at the birds of the air. Wait, 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 Jesus. I thought we were talking about me right now. I don't have time. I'm worried about a whole lot of things. I don't have time to stop and look and worry about these birds in the air. I don't have time for that. But this is actually a command by Jesus. And he says, I want you to pause. I want you to stop. And I want you to look 
at the birds of the air because they're going to help you and I understand something as I talk to you more and more about this idea of worrying. Notice verse 26. You look at the birds of the air. Notice, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. See, they don't have the capacity, like you and I do, to plan ahead responsibly. They literally live for today. They go about their day as if this is all there is. If anyone had a reason to worry, it would be the birds of the air because they can't plan for later. And and on a side note, talk about living for the moment. I mean, they're just living for the moment, and guess what the Bible says? God takes care of them. You and I have the advantage to plan ahead, to think ahead, which helps add to the worry potentially. But you, unlike the birds of the air, can not only live for today, we can plan responsibly for tomorrow. And then Jesus presents the question that begins to get to the heart of the issue of worrying for us. I mean, this is brilliant. Look at verse 26. Are you not much more, what's the word? Are you not much more valuable than they? See, this is the question we have to ask ourselves. God, who takes care of something, birds, animals, things like that, that are not made in his image, he takes care of them. Since God has made you and I in his image, are you and I not more valuable than those that God takes care of who aren't made in his image? And what's the conclusion? Of course God will take care of you who's made in his image. Why worry? And Jesus goes on. He wants to keep driving home the point. So he asks another question. Verse 27. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your, here's the word again, to your what? To your life. What is your life? I want you to think about that for a moment. What is your life? You see, your life is really anything that you think is important. You might say your life is your health. You might say your life is your future. You might say it's your time. It's your mental capacity. Whatever it may be, by worrying, can you add an hour to that? Whatever it is that's important to you. And the answer is, of course not. I mean, come on, for a moment. Let's, let's just kind of be real for a minute. If it were true that you could actually add to your life, an hour to your life, every time you worried, some of you would live to be like 500 years old. Right? Verse 28. He goes on, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Okay, Jesus is talking about the future again. Remember, worries about the future, about the later. He's, he's saying flowers have no concept of the future, no concept of working to clothe themselves. Verse 29, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Verse 30, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, And tomorrow is thrown into the fire, and now he's going to get to the very, very heart of what you and I worry about. Verse 30. Will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. 
He's saying, look, do you trust that God can and will take care of you? Because this is the issue of worry. Think about it this way. Christians, Jesus followers, who worry are the same people. And I think this would cover us, most of us. Christians who worry are the same people who have trusted God to break the, you know, the shackles of sin in our life, who have trusted God to, to redeem them, to save them from the enemy. These Christians who worry are the same ones who believe that God has, has brought us into the kingdom of God, saved us for eternity, given us heaven. By the way, do you believe that? Do you believe that? God's done that for you. He saved you, redeemed you, restored you, given you eternity. So you believe that, and yet, you don't think God can get you through the next couple of days? You see what's going on here? Here's what I wrote down. I just wrote down, that's ridiculous. I mean, as I started thinking about it, not to sugarcoat it, but just to be real, that's insane. We believe God for the greater gift, and yet we stumble and not believe them for the lesser ones. Jesus said, look at the birds of the air, or the bird and the flowers of the field. I kind of think today Jesus might tell us to look at something. He might say the same thing, but in my mind, I think maybe he'd say, tell us to look at something else. He, he might say something like, you know, because of technology today, Jesus might say, look at all the photos of the from the Hubble telescope. Really look at those. Look at the atmosphere that science has shown us. And look at all the elements involved in the atmosphere. And that science has shown and proven to us that they all the percentages have to be just a specific percentage. Otherwise, we would not be able to live. We would die. Look at the, you know, look at the eye. I love that eye, right? You know, science people get stoked about the eye. I had a science teacher, a professor in college, and, and Mark and I were in class, and, 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 and he stood up there one day, you know, science guys, and if you're a science guy or gal, you know, you, you, I love your passion. And he stood up there, and he goes, we were just sitting in the back, and he goes, I love that eye. And he was so serious, and Mark started busting up, you know, and I had to cover his tracks and all that, you know, to kind of, because, but, and then he broke it down, the intricacies of it, and how, and how dynamic it is. I want to just ask you the question, how big is your God? How big is your God? I, I want to know, are you following the God of the universe? The God who created. The God who sustains. Why would you not trust that God who has your best interests in mind? You're made in His image. What He went on to say, O oh, you of little faith. It's really an embarrassing lack of faith when we drag the unknown of tomorrow into today and we start worrying about it or we start getting anxious about it. When I reach out or when you reach out and grab tomorrow's concerns that we can't do anything about, 
And when we drag them in and we bring them in today and we overload our emotions with what's potentially going to happen, that's me, that's you showing a lack of faith and trust in Almighty God. How big is your God? So Jesus tells you and I, your Heavenly Father, He's got it. He's got you. You don't need to drag those concerns of tomorrow in today. Because your Heavenly Father, He knows what you need today, and He knows what you need tomorrow, and He'll be there for you tomorrow. Verse 31, so do not worry. And He goes on and says about all these things. Jump ahead to verse 32. Do not worry. Then He goes and says, I love what He says next. He says, it's the pagans who run after these things. It's everybody else who's not a God believer, who's not a Jesus follower. They pursue, they're consumed with, they focus on all of these things. Verse 32, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Do you believe that? I mean, do you actually believe that He knows that you're not alone in what you're going through? Do you believe it? And then Jesus gives us the alternative to worry, to our anxiety. Jesus gives us a better way to live. It's the way that those earliest believers lived that ultimately changed the world because they followed this teaching. And if you and I want to make an impact, if we want to change our world, we follow Jesus' teaching in this. And he says, verse 33, but seek first. Now, i, I got to pause real quick. The Greek term that is translated run after, remember when he said the pagans run after? That's the same Greek term that's used right here in the next verse that says seek first. They're interchangeable. So you can read it this way. For the pagans seek first the things that we just talked about. Now I want you to run after something else. I want you to seek first something else. Verse 3. I want you to seek first the kingdom of God. I want you to run after God's kingdom. I want that to be your priority. Seek first, run after the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things, the things we just talked about, the future things, all these things will be what? What will they be? What is the word? They'll be given to you. At the epicenter of Jesus' definition of worry, Worry is you and I chasing things mentally, running after things emotionally, seeking after, trying to manipulate, trying to control, trying to somehow worry something, future, into reality now. So that's what worry is all about. He said, pagans do that. Not you and I as Jesus followers not Jesus' disciples. Jesus says, I want to give you an alternative. Instead of running after, instead of seeking those things, I want you to run after and seek something else first. Don't go seeking those that that which you have no control over. Instead, focus in on, instead of focusing in on, excuse me, instead of focusing in on and borrowing from tomorrow, How about instead you look for a way to participate in what God is doing today? Seek first God's stuff. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Because what Jesus does here next is incredibly brilliant. He relabels everything. 
He relabels everything you and I are worried about, and he simply calls it tomorrow. Look at verse 34. Therefore, remember, he just talked about food, clothing, shelter, all of this, all of this, right? He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. You know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying you and I aren't really worried about paying the bills. We're worried about tomorrow. He's saying you're not really worried about tuition. You're worried about tomorrow. You're not really worried about your health. You're worried about tomorrow. You're not really worried about your marriage. You're worried about tomorrow. You're not worried about a promotion, the economy, retirement. That's all just tomorrow. Whatever you and I are worried about, pause long enough to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm worrying about tomorrow. Relabel whatever it is you're worried about. Just relabel it tomorrow. And my Heavenly Father has told me that I do not need to worry about tomorrow. Verse 34, why? Jesus says, tomorrow's going to worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus recognized that life is hard. He's saying, why in the world would you smuggle tomorrow's challenges and issues into today's challenges and uh, trouble? Don't worry, because your heavenly Father is with you today, and he'll be waiting on you tomorrow. So my question for you is, what would happen if you believe that? I mean, what would actually happen if you believed that? What if you were absolutely confident that God knows what you need today and that God will be there for you tomorrow? What if you decided, hey, I'm going to believe Jesus and what Jesus has said about my future. I'm going to believe what Jesus has said about my heavenly Father who says he's looking out for me. He knows. He cares about me. He'll take care of me. What if we actually believe that? But an even better question is, why not go ahead and just believe it? Why not? I know why you don't. First of all, you hear this and you go, well, this is absurd. It's not that easy. It's not that simple. Pastor, my situation's complicated. That's where we all go. That whatever we're going through is above what Jesus teaches. Secondly, we think, well, I guess I can give it a try, but I'm not really sure it will work. I'll go ahead and try it, but I'm not really convinced. Or third, if I do try, I'm not positive God's going to come through for me because I've tried stuff before and God didn't come through for me before. Or from, that's from our earthly perspective. He didn't come through for us the way we wanted him to come through for us, right? Here's our problem if we don't go down this road. And this is what a lot of us need to hear this morning. If we are not going to trust God with tomorrow, we're going to continue to trust worry with tomorrow. If you choose not to do what Jesus has essentially asked, you are essentially choosing to put your faith in worry. Did you hear that? You're choosing to put your faith in worry. And worry is, in a sense, putting your faith in self. So which is more dependable? Worry or self? Or your heavenly father? What's more dependable? Let me put it another way. What if I got up here and I said, all righty, open your Bibles. I have a message from the Lord. Turn to Proverbs. It says, trust and worry. Trust and worry with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge worry, and worry will make your path straight. And if I said that, your response is, rightio, Chris. It's crazy. That's not going to work. Do you have more faith in worry 
or do you, do you have more faith in God? And I know our stock answer is, I have more faith in God. By your behaviors, do you have more faith in worry or more faith in God? So it's like, why not trust in God? Worry, how's it been working for us? Now here's something that should encourage you. Jesus' disciples, Jesus shared all this, but they didn't get it. They kept messing up and they kept worrying right to the very end. And so in Jesus' last gathering with his disciples before his death, he says something similar again. He said in John chapter 14, verse 1, he said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Then he gets to the issue of what causes our worry. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. Because remember, the issue of worry is an issue of trust. It's an issue of faith. It's an issue of worry. It's do you trust me or do you not trust me? Do you trust me or do you trust worry? I already know your pushback. Yes, of course I trust God. I just don't trust my friend. Of course I trust God. I just don't trust my company. Of course I trust God. I just don't trust my spouse. I don't trust my employer or my employee. I don't trust the government. I get that, and so does Jesus, which is why he continues in John 4. And then he says in verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. See, Jesus understood your comebacks, your pushbacks, and he says, I'm not leaving you the kind of peace that is dependent upon you knowing the future in order to have peace. I'm leaving you a different kind of peace. It's not contingent upon their response or their future response. It's not a contingent upon a healthy economy or politicians or nuclear bombs getting dismantled or fires being put out. Verse 27, I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Listen, Jesus fully knew and understood every one of our excuses. He knew them. He understood that if you would believe in Him and trust in Him, not in yourself, not in others, not even in your own planning, trust in Him that He's going to give you what's most important. Because your circumstances are always going to change. Your circumstances are always going to stink. The Bible tells us in this world you will have, anybody know the verse? You will have what? Trouble. Jesus guaranteed it. So what Jesus says is, I'm going to give you my peace in the midst of whatever you're going through. Problem was, shortly after saying this, Jesus was crucified. It's like game over. This whole peace thing didn't mean anything to the disciples. But then, he rose from the grave, and so suddenly the notion of trusting God was tomorrow, it made sense. Why? Because when someone can predict their own death and resurrection, and then pull it off, and that person told you you don't need to worry about tomorrow, guess what? You can believe them. You can believe him. It validates everything he says. And so those early followers of Jesus who touched, who saw the resurrected Savior, finally understood that they can trust God with their future. That all began to make sense to them. 32 years later, 30 years later, 35 years later, Paul writes something almost identical to what Jesus said. 
Now, this is the Paul who faced unspeakable hardship, hardship that you and I couldn't even possibly comprehend or imagine. Paul wrote to Christians who were being persecuted. They were a minority in the city of Philippi. And he said in Philippians 4, verse 5, he says, the Lord is near, do not be anxious. That word anxious is the same word in Matthew 6 for worry. Do not be anxious, do not worry about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Paul just says, listen, substitute your worry with prayer. Anytime you and I find ourselves worrying, the most effective step we can take is to pray. Go to God with what's ever on our mind. Present it to God. And when you do this, if you do this, verse 7, the peace of God, there it is, the peace of God. The peace of God that Jesus promised you and I in John 14. The peace of God, not the peace of of circumstances not the peace of being able to predict the future not the peace that comes with the having enough money in the bank not the peace that comes with being tenured not the peace that comes with being able to anticipate what's going to happen in our economy or how our spouse or how our friend will respond the peace of God is the peace that comes with knowing that God knows what you need today. He knows what you need tomorrow. He will be waiting on you tomorrow. He cares about you. He will provide for you. The peace of God, he goes on and says, which transcends all understanding. In other words, it doesn't make sense. The Jesus followers who have the peace of God in them, people look at us and say, how can you have peace? How can you not worry? How can you have that kind of confidence? Why aren't you all messed up over all this? Why aren't you debilitatingly angry? Why aren't you debilitatingly mad? Why aren't you vindictive? Why aren't you overreacting? Why? Because that peace, the Jesus peace, what does he say, Paul says? It'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The bottom line is, what will you trust? Because you really only have two options. Trust is the issue. Trusting in God or trusting in worry. Trusting in God or trusting in worry, which is really just trusting in self. So let me wrap this morning up by just giving you a few steps to start applying that I would encourage you to put in your life right now. The first is this, begin every day by declaring your trust in God. Every single day, wake up and declare your trust in God. Because here's the deal, if you can get ahead of worry, you can usually stay ahead of it. If you can kick off your day ahead of worry, you're going to probably stay ahead of it. So start off your day by declaring your trust in God. God, I trust you. I trust you for pardoning my sins, for protection, for forgiveness, for provision. And so, God, I also trust you with this big meeting I have today. I trust you with this assignment that is due. I trust you with that. I trust you two weeks from now when this is coming up. I trust you with this big deal that I need to do today. I'm placing my trust in you. You see, worry makes our problems bigger than they are. Prayer makes them smaller. Worry makes it bigger. Prayer makes it smaller. So begin your day by pushing worry out of the picture through prayer. By doing that, it's a way to seek first his kingdom. Next, I want to encourage you to read your Bible daily. Uh, so often when I talk with people, meet with people, and, and they, they're sharing with me what's going on in their life, and they're really struggling, and I ask the question, how often are you in the word of God? 
and inevitably it's, you know, they kind of put their head down and it's just like they don't even really want to answer the question. They're not in the word enough. And in seasons where you feel like anxiety or, or worry is getting a, a foothold in your life, man, I'd encourage you to read the Matthew 6, 25-34 passage and read it over and over and over again and, and read it out loud. Third, we kind of mentioned this earlier, relabel your worry tomorrow. When worry rises up, whatever it is in your life, whatever that situation, circumstance is, relabel it worry. Or relabel it tomorrow, I'm sorry. I'm worried about the test. No, you're not. You're worried about tomorrow. I'm worried about paying for my kid's college. No, you're not. You're worried about tomorrow. I'm worried about making that REM payment, paying the bills. No, you're not. You're worried about tomorrow. And Jesus said, Matthew 6, verse 34, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. And finally, and this is a big one, when you're tempted to worry about tomorrow, look for ways to participate in what God's doing today. Look for ways to participate. This is really the crux of how you seek first his kingdom. Here's what I mean by this. When you begin to worry about something, just stop and pray for somebody else who's going through a difficult time. Maybe they're even going through the same thing you're going through. I'm not going to worry about what's coming later because I'm going to participate in what God is doing today. In other words, allow your worry to trigger kingdom concern. Choose to invest your lives in others and in God's kingdom and choose to do that today. And here's Jesus' promise. You take care of my kingdom, you focus on my kingdom, I'll worry about you and your kingdom. I'll take care of you. I was watching News 10 this week, and one of the stories really grabbed me. Savannah Chosko was a young lady who was with her friend in Las Vegas at the concert when the shooting started. started. They started running. Her friend was shot dead. She kept running. Next thing she knows, she felt this pain in her back. She went to her knees, feeling like she was going to die. People came, heroes came and saved her and rescued her. She heads home to Roner Park. The fires are all around her, devastating the homes around her, watching the news, seeing her neighbors. She still has a bullet in her back right now today. She decides, why worry? I need to go help others. Here's what she said. I, I just love her words. She said, I, couldn't, I just couldn't sit at home and not do anything. I'm mobile. Even though I can't be as completely functioning as I would like to be, I could still do something. So she's out right now giving her time and attention to others who've lost so much. Rather than focusing on and worrying about her misery, her pain, and her loss, when you're overwhelmed with worry, stop and write a note to somebody. When, you, when something has grabbed you and gripped your heart and you have anxiety over something, give somebody else a call and be a blessing to them. When you're overwhelmed with worry, pray for somebody. Go get involved. I'm sure you know this, but many firefighters, police officers, and other first responders who are out there helping people, they are some of the first who lost their homes themselves while saving other people's homes. Turn your worry into a call to action by worrying and fo or by focusing your energy on God's kingdom and being a light to this world. Now, some of you, 
You might have friends who are pretty sharp and wise, and they might pick up on this. They might say to you, man, you're calling me a lot lately. Man, you're writing me notes all of a sudden. What's, you know, they'd be like, oh, you must worry a lot, right? <laughs> so one last time, what has worry ever done for you? What's it ever done for you? So do not worry. Our Heavenly Father will see you tomorrow. He's got tomorrow covered. So trust your Heavenly Father with today. Trust that He'll be waiting on you tomorrow. So do not worry. Worry not. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, worry is one of those things that is debilitating and it can grip us and it could paralyze us and it can destroy us. And Jesus, you give us an alternative and you invite us into your kingdom and to seek what matters to you. And so God, that is our choice. We choose to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness trusting that you'll take care of everything else. So God, help us with that. We turn to you for courage to do that, to focus on what matters to you. God, right now we come to give you an offering, and actually, context-wise, this whole Matthew 6 passage started with them worrying about money. And so God, this is a perfect way to say we trust you with our tomorrow. You've asked us to worship you by giving you an offering. And so, God, we come to bring you our first fruits. Use this, God, to grow your kingdom. And we'll trust you to take care of ours in the future. So we worship you now, God, as we give this to you. In Jesus' name, amen.